Welcome back, everybody, to your episode two of the Red Seat Podcast on BP Boston. Uh, today, your host, Jake Devereaux, that's me. I'm joined by Matt Collins of BP Boston and Over the Monster. Matt, how you doing tonight? I'm doing well. How's it going, Jake? It's going pretty well. Uh, for those of you who don't know Matt or aren't familiar with his work, it'd be hard to believe that you're a Red Sox fan and you are not familiar with his work, but he writes at BP Boston as well as Over the Monster, and uh, he's a great follow if you're a Sox fan. So, uh, Matt, you want to let the people know where they can check you out on Twitter too? Uh, sure. It's uh, at Red Sox underscore thoughts. Uh, pretty garbage Twitter handle, but once in a while there's some non-garbage tweets on there. Yeah, there's a few gems. I mean, you, you get to dig through th- some slop, but, you know, eventually you get some real gems in there. So, um, Matt, we, we've got a lot to talk about today. Um, six games under the belt. Finally, we're not talking about theoretical baseball. There's some real things we can actually dig into here. The first thing I want to start off with, though, is what we saw um, today in the home opener. Um, wasn't pretty. Price and Kimbrell got banged up today. Uh, and I wanted to get your take on the whole thing. David Price is obviously the ace of the staff, biggest you know free agent that we acquired in the off season. Um, and then we also have K- Craig Kimbrell, who we traded a good amount of the farm to get this year. Both of them getting blown up today. Any concern by you in in these two guys with these performances? Uh, no, not really. Uh, I mean, this will happen every once in a while. Even the best pitchers are going to go out and. Uh get hit hard every once in a while. It kind of sucks that it happened for Price in his first start at Fenway Park. Uh, but the Orioles have a good lineup, and that's going to happen once in a while. Uh, there might be a little bit of concern with Kimbrell just because he had those home run problems last year, and he gave up that absolute bomb to Davis today. Uh, but those home run problems, everybody in San Diego had those last year, so it was kind of weird. I never really thought of that as a huge concern, and uh, I'm not going to let one home run to Chris Davis changed that. So did you get a chance to watch the game today? I did. Um, unfortunately, I was not one of the lucky people that got to watch it because I was at work. But um, I want to know, on that uh, Chris Davis home run, did Kimbrell just challenge him with a fastball, elite velocity, and he just caught up to it? Yeah, he was. Kimbrell was kind of up in the zone. His, it wasn't his best outing. Um, he was either up in the zone or he was just missing the zone completely. And if you're going to – he left one down the middle for Davis, and if you're going to do that – I mean, I don't know if he saw the home run, but it was as far – maybe as far as a home run as I've ever seen at Fenway. Yeah, I heard that it was the second longest home run that Kimbrell has given up in his career, second only to uh, one that he gave up to David Wright, which traveled like 464 feet. Um, so it was a monster bomb by all accounts, and I figured it was a little – uh, fastball on Chris Davis's bat, uh, brutality. So, uh, haven't got a chance to see it. Probably won't, won't look at it because it'll <laughs> just make me cringe. But, um, I mean, probably not a big problem there though, right? I mean, unless this starts happening over and over again, um, there's, there's no real worries to be had here. No, I mean, Kimbrough's been one of the best closes in baseball for too long to get worried about one rough outing. Well, what about Price then? Um, I know that he gave up that home run uh, to Mark Trumbo that really kind of uh, destroyed his start there. But that whole inning was kind of uh, started on a little bit of a, a fluky um, play where he hit uh, Manny Machado, barely hit him. But you want to talk about that sequence a little bit? Um, yeah, see, I um, I actually didn't catch that inning, unfortunately. Oh, okay. So, yeah, but... I mean, I could speak to his overall start where, again, it wasn't – he wasn't terrible. Uh, I don't think he was as bad as his line suggests, but it was another case of just a guy who didn't have his best stuff, and that's going to happen every once in a while. Yeah, it's it's not something we can really worry about too much in uh, – on April 11th as it stands right now. We're recording this on a uh, Monday night right now, so, um, you know, n- not too many things you can be concerned of there, but I want to start – going through the rotation a little bit because when Ben and I spoke on the first episode of this podcast, um, we both agreed that the biggest concern this year and really how the Sox performance is going to be, um, how it's all going to shake out is dependent on the the 
the rotation here. And outside of David Price, um, this first go-round uh, has not been all that pretty, especially for guys like Clay Buckholtz and Joe Kelly. But the first guy I want to talk about is Clay Buckholtz. Did you get a chance to see his start? I didn't see the start. I just saw the numbers. I was at work that night, so... Yeah, the the start was ugly. I mean, he just did not have his stuff. The command was all over the place. He was just, he was really bad Clay Buckholz in that first start. I wanted to get what your expectations were for him for the season because Ben and I were a little bit all over the place. I kind of, I, I think that we both think he's going to be relatively good when he is healthy and when he, when he stays on the field, I thought he was, I predict that he's going to stay on the field for 28 starts this year, which after that first one has me, uh, I'm not sure if that was a great idea. I might be having a little bit of a regret. Um, but, you know, what are your expectations for him going forward this season? What do you think we're going to get out of him? Um, I think I'm pretty similar with you guys. Uh, I wrote something for BP Boston a few weeks ago where um, I found out that his good seasons have been when he's been able to get a full healthy off season in front of it. And by all accounts, he's had that this year. So I am cautiously optimistic as optimistic as I can possibly be about play buckles, which we all know how that goes. Um, and I'd be lying if I said that first start didn't make me a little weary, but at the same time, uh, we remember last year, I think it was a second start, second or third start of the season or something when he gave up, um, nine runs or whatever to the Yankees in three innings. And obviously last year he ended up all right when he was on the mound. So I'm still cautiously optimistic, um, but obviously ready for a buckles implosion because that's always possible. Yeah, you always have to kind of get on the couch and gear up for something horrible to happen whenever he's out on the mound. <laughs> yeah. It's always just a pleasant surprise when he doesn't completely explode in front of you, even though – you know, when he's good, you watch him and you're just like, oh, my God, this guy, he has everything going for him. He's got a million pitches and they're all great. And why doesn't he do this all the time? So it is very frustrating. But on the flip side of that, you have Joe Kelly, who um, it's tough to say that about. I mean, we all agree, right, as a staff, Joe Kelly has great stuff. but uh, I do not agree to that for the record. <laughs> okay. You, you might be the lone dissenter. Um but seven earned runs uh, on seven hits, I believe it was, in his first start here. And he just got just completely destroyed. Um, you wrote a piece about that at Over the Monster. Um, good piece. You should check that out. But uh, a few things that you noticed that I thought were kind of interesting. Um, he's had a real strong dependence on the sinker ball in the past. Really gets away from his secondaries. And I think that that was something that me and Ben touched on, too, in our preview was – you know, Joe Kelly really needs to rely on his secondary pitches if he's going to be a complete pitcher. He did show some improvement with that slider, but overall, I mean, you dissected it pretty pretty thoroughly. What'd you see out of him? Uh, yeah. So going back to those secondaries, um, a few weeks ago, again at BP Boston, I wrote um, about those secondaries and specifically his changeup. Um, he's had pretty good success with that changeup, even though he doesn't throw it that often. And especially against righties, which righty on righty changeups aren't very common. Um, but he actually had an interview with Brian McPherson at the Providence Journal saying that he was going to try and use his changeup more. Um, so I was pretty excited about that. And then I went to Brooks Baseball to look through his repertoire, and it turns out he didn't throw one changeup during that outing. So that was pretty disappointing. Um, I think. He clearly needs something to change if he's going to stick in the rotation. So I was really hoping for more in that changeup. Um, besides the repertoire thing, uh, there was something off about his rele uh, release point. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a huge difference uh, from last year, but it was still noticeable. Um, I put up a couple of pictures to show, and he wasn't really extending his arm out as much, and he was throwing it uh, from a lower arm slot. And... He just wasn't getting on top of the ball, and it ended up leaving pitches up in the zone. And every lineup in the league is going to punish that, and it goes doubly so for the Blue Jays. So overall, it was just everything you didn't want to see from Joe Kelly at one start. So for, for all the people out there that might not understand exactly what, a, what difference um, not having a consistent arm slot or release point or both, uh, can can cause what are some of the the problems that can arise from that um it just it uh messes with your command and 
if there's one thing that has ruined Joe Kelly for most of his career, it's been a lack of command. And it just results in pitches up in the zone, right down the middle, right where uh, hitters are going to crush it. And it also leaves the ball a little flat. And obviously that's a terrible combination. Yeah, and those are things that Kelly does not need because his fastball has been notoriously flat, even though it has had good velocity uh, in the past. So um, he certainly needs to rely on his two-seam a little bit more, which sometimes doesn't get the run that we expect out of it. Um, one good thing was the slider that you pointed out was actually a pretty effective pitch. Do you think that's something that he's going to be relying on a little bit more as the season goes on? Um, it certainly seems that way, and... I don't know. Did you watch that game? I did not catch that one. There was one at bat um, against Jose Batista. I was trying to find if somebody got a gif of it or something, but I couldn't find anything. But he made Jose Batista look like a little leaguer, uh, throwing a couple sliders to him. And uh, it wasn't that good all game, but just that one at bat showed that the potential is there. So I would expect him to um, be using that a little more than he did last year. So going forward here, what does Joe Kelly need to do to convince you that he can actually stay in the rotation? And what do you think the, um, you know, what do you think, how much slack do you think that um, John Farrell is actually going to give him in this situation? I mean, is this a, is this a situation where if he does this poorly for another start or two, he could get the hook? Or are we talking, you know, similar to last year, we're just going to continue to throw guys out there and see what happens. Um, I would say that they're probably going to give him until Eduardo Rodriguez comes back, um, unless he completely blows up like this. And I'm as low on Joe Kelly as anyone, but I don't think he's going to be quite that bad for mm-hmm. all of his starts. So assuming he's not um, completely terrible, I think they'll give him till Rodriguez comes back. And if there's no sign of improvement from last year, then that could be the point where they move him to the bullpen. Um, as far as what I'm looking for, really, I just want to see him pitch down in the zone. Um, and stop leaving those flat fastballs up. I really don't have the highest expectations, so even if he can put in slightly below average work, um, I'll be ecstatic. Over under on four and a half ERA for the year for Joe Kelly as a starter. As a starter? Yep. Oh, that's tough. I was going to say under and put in the reliever caveat, um, but <laughs> I'll say over. I think he's going to struggle and move to the bullpen in the middle of May. Okay. Yeah, that's a bad situation to have right now, which leaves us looking at you know who, who else is going to be in that rotation. Um, one guy who didn't pitch too, too bad um, in his first start was Rick Porcello. Uh, he went out, struck out seven guys. Um, looked pretty good. I mean, when when I saw him, I did watch him pitch. Um, I thought that he looked decently in control for most of the game. He did, you know, give up four runs, and that wasn't great. But it looked like he was keeping the ball down for the most part. Did you get a chance to look at any of his pitch FX numbers from that start? That's something I'd be curious to look at because I want to know, are we going to get the Rick Porcello that we had in the second half of last year where he was doing a much better job keeping the ball down, or are we going to get the Rick Porcello that was chasing strikeouts and trying to perform like an ace in the first half of the season and failing completely at it? Um, I did look through it a little bit, um, not super in-depth, but uh, just on a quick cursory look, it looks like he... He did use a sinker a lot more. Um, I have it right now. It says 51% uh, sinker usage for him. Um, but looking at the zone profile, he didn't do a good job of keeping the ball down, which is a little distressing. Um, the one thing I did, I wrote something for OTM about Porcello um, at some point in March, and there was an interesting thing I found. Um, his best starts were ones where he was using his curveball a lot, and that's not usually a pitch that we think of with Porcello. Mm-hmm. Um, but Jeff Sullivan at Fangraphs wrote something um, in the middle of the winter where Porcello was getting his curveball to look more and more like Adam Wainwright's, and he was slowing it down and putting more break on it. And he didn't really use that curveball too, too much in that last start. So I think I would like to see him use that a little bit more. Um, but overall, I wouldn't say that I'm super worried about him 
going forward. So what would you expect out of him for the remainder of the year? Are you looking for like a, a 3.75 ERA out of Porcello, or are we thinking that he's going to be better or worse than that? Um, I would say around league average. I mean, I think it's all about expectations with him. Um, the money's out the window. And I think there are some people that were expecting that he could take his game to the next level just because he was so young mm-hmm. compared to other guys uh, around free agency age. But I think he pretty much is who he is. And if he just sticks with sticks with his uh, sinker ball uh, repertoire, then he should be around league average. And that's totally fine with me. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I think that if he can be league average and perform better than that against weaker opponents, um, he could be decent, probably win close to 14 games or something like that uh, with this offense that we have going right now. Um, the Red Sox have looked pretty good from that perspective. I just want to touch on one more member of the rotation before we go ahead and talk about that lineup and how it's performed so far. But after all the controversy over Stephen Wright getting that start instead of David Price up in Toronto, um, you know, David Price was pushed back so he could start today. Uh, because they wanted to get Stephen Wright some work after about 11 uh, days off, or I believe it was 11 at the time. Um, but Stephen Wright goes out after that shaky inning where um, Blake Swihart couldn't seem to catch the ball, um, had like two or three pass balls that inning. Um, he was finally able to settle in, and they they looked pretty good together. Um, Stephen Wright only allowed two runs during that start, looked really good. Um I think this is a guy who's going to ultimately end up staying in the rotation all season. So I wanted to get your take on how you thought he looked in that start um, and whether or not you think that he could be a solution in this rotation long term. Um, So I didn't – that was another start where I had to work during, so I only caught the end of that game. Um, But the numbers were obviously good. The thing is that's just kind of how knuckleballers are, right? Um, they'll have one start where they go out and they look good. They give up a couple runs. Um, but then you never know the next time out, they could give up seven runs and in two innings. So, I mean, I think Wright's a solid piece to have, um, but more as a sixth or seventh starter than someone you want to be relying on every five games. Mm-hmm. I think he'll bounce back and forth between the rotation and the bullpen when he's needed. But I think ultimately, if this is team is going to contend like we all think they are, then that rotation spot's going to be filled by an improved Joe Kelly or Henry Owens coming up or someone they get in a trade or somebody other than right. So you have confidence that a guy like Henry Owens could come up and, and, and perform better than Stephen Wright for the chunk, for like a larger chunk of the season? Um, I don't know if I have confidence in it, but I think the Red Sox will be better off if they can get uh, Henry Owens to come up like that than have to go back and forth not knowing what you're going to get with Wright. I just think Wright's too inconsistent. I think you would rather have somebody where you're not risking a huge blow up every time out. Yeah, so I wanted to take a look at his his game log from last year just to see how inconsistent some of his starts were. Um, and they were pretty over all over the board when he did get a chance to start. He was... Um, you know, two earned runs, one earned run, two, two, six, one, 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 three. Um, but by and large, he's really, actually better than I thought it was. So. Yeah, he only got blown up really the one time. So th- I, I guess the, the common theme here is that um, when he does go out there, you don't know sort of how long he's going to last. There were some starts that were five innings. There were some that were eight or seven. Um, but he he had a lot of five-inning starts in there. But, I mean, it, if if he can give you five strong innings of averaging around two or, well, let's say three runs um, per start, I mean, I think we'll take that at this point, given what the offense has looked like so far, right? Yeah, but... Um... I mean, I think you have to kind of shoot higher than that um, if you're looking to make the playoffs. Um, I don't think you want to be relying on a guy who's uh, averaging five start, five innings per start, and uh, especially with a rotation like this where the rest of the starters outside of Price are at risk of leaving the game early on any giving start. Um, that's taxing the bullpen a lot, and you really want to try to avoid that. Well, I was going to wait until a little bit later in the show to touch on 
um, some of the performances at the farm. But while we're on it right now, we're trying to suss out what this rotation is going to look like um, towards the middle of the year, towards the end of the year. I guess it's a good time to talk about um, Henry Owens, who we, we both thought of as a possible replacement. Uh, Owens did have his first start at AAA already, went six strong, allowed one hit, struck out eight guys, did walk three, uh, which is a little bit, you know, to be expected from him. He has struggled with control in the past, um, primarily a fastball changeup guy. Um, but, I mean, you have to be encouraged by that result right now, and um, ultimately looks like he could be somebody who does come in and give the Red Sox some important innings out of the rotation. Yeah, for sure. And um, I think you hit the nail on the head. The thing that's always going to be holding him back is that control. If he can start limiting his walks, then he's a mid-rotation guy for sure, um, maybe as soon as this year. But that control probably will hold him back. Even with it, though, I think he's a solid back-end option um, by midseason. Well, his rotation mate down in AAA was actually able to finally get the uh, start, um, his first start of the year now after dealing with some injury issues last season. Um, but Brian Johnson, another lefty um, in the Red Sox uh, Pawtucket rotation, uh, went four innings tonight, um, allowed five hits, one earned run, and struck out four guys. Um, but overall, I was pretty encouraged by the numbers that I saw from him being able to sort of pick up right where he left off. This is a big-time control-and-command pitcher, um, not somebody who's going to be you know, any sort of a three or above starter, but somebody who could settle in as a decent four or five. Um, so good to see him healthy, too. Gives the Sox another option. Um, when me and Ben were talking about him last week, both of us kind of think a little bit higher of Johnson than... Um, certainly people in the, the national media do. And I have to say, I think if I had to, uh, give one of these two guys up for some strange reason, I'd feel more comfortable giving up on Owens than I would on Johnson, just because I feel like he's got a safer profile. Um, what do you think about that? I think that's fair. Um, I think it probably depends on what kind of piece you bring back, but, and I think I would probably opt to keep Owens just because I would rather have the higher ceiling guy, but I can definitely see both sides of that. And I would say, generally speaking, I probably don't think about Brian Johnson too much. It might be because he missed so much time last year. Um, but he's not really somebody I've been factoring into what I think the end of the year rotation is going to look like. And that's probably a mistake on my part because at some point he'll at least get a few starts and he, Definitely has that command and control profile to uh, make it work in a Stephen Wright-esque way. Yeah, I mean, I think he could be a little bit better than that, right? When you when you look at his his stuff, he's somebody who could really, I think, pick apart some weaker lineups in this league with that control. Yeah, yeah, I didn't mean to say that he was uh, Stephen Wright's skill set. I just meant um, somebody who can go five, six innings and. Right, uh, fill that role. Runs. Yeah, yeah, nothing special, but um, usable. So let's forecast a little bit. Come Memorial Day, what's the Red Sox rotation look like, one through five? Um, at that point, I will probably say Price, Buckles, Porcello, Rodriguez, and uh, Wright, I guess, with Owens knocking on the door. Um, that fifth spot's really up for grabs. That's the one spot. Um, but I'll say Wright's probably still there at that point. All right. So you've got Joe Kelly getting bumped before then. What about post-trade deadline? You see any uh, moves happening way down the road? Yeah. I mean, I think if they're in contention at that point, then a uh, start is going to be their big need, especially if Buckles goes down. Um, they're going to need somebody to slot behind Price. Um, it's kind of hard to say who that guy will be right now since we don't really know what the what teams are going to be in contention right. and what teams aren't. Uh, but, yeah, I definitely think that's going to be, if they're in contention, that would be the area they look to. So really the three guys who you're most confident with ending the season in the rotation are David Price, Rick Porcello, and Eduardo Rodriguez. And outside of that, it's a bit of a crapshoot to you? Yeah, pretty much. Um, 
obviously buckles that's about health and not skill and the rest of the guys are about skill though yeah i completely agree i think that's a really good assessment that's how i have it too um you know i don't know why i was tricked in this off season as to thinking that joe kelly would be different but um I mean, I, I hate it because we always say, you know, at baseball prospectus, you know, don't be tricked by the small sample size. Pay attention to, you know, large data points. But man, when you watch Joe Kelly and you've seen so many Joe Kelly starts at this point, it's really hard not to give up on him at, after seeing this. I predicted him this year to have right around a four ERA, but I'm feeling really foolish for doing that at this point. Yeah, I mean, it just shows how important command is. I mean, you can have the best stuff in the world, but if you're going to leave it up in the zone, major league hitters are going to crush you. Um, I will say that I am intrigued by him in the bullpen. I'm not at all convinced that it's going to work because bad command is bad command, no matter what inning you're pitching in. Uh, but if that stuff can play up and if he can get um, get more movement on his pitches and short outings, then I think it's worth a shot. Yeah, it certainly is. Um, uh, he He's someone that I think could really, really play up in the bullpen because oftentimes when guys move to the pen, we don't only see their velocity increase, but we see that command tighten up in shorter stints. They're able to focus a little bit more and get that dialed in. So uh, if you can do that, he could be a, a tremendous asset out of the pen. But you mentioned guys smashing the ball, so that really leads me into talking about the Red Sox right now uh, in that lineup who's actually tied for the American League lead in uh, runs scored at this point. Unfortunately, we've only allowed, uh, we've only uh, given up three fewer runs than we've scored so far because the pitching's been so bad. But 35 runs scored through six games is pretty good, and uh, the lineup has looked pretty awesome. So um, a lot of guys off to hot starts. Brock Holt's been out of his mind. Hanley Ramirez uh, is really just making everybody forget about the constant chatter in the offseason about, you know, if we can move this guy, if he's going to completely flounder at first base, if he's going to come in out of shape. Um, he's just looked amazing. So I'm wondering, you know, looking down that lineup, one through nine, who are you buying? Who are you selling? And, um, you know, just talk to me about these guys. Uh, so starting with uh, Ramirez, I was cautiously optimistic about him uh, hitting the ball hard this year after last year, and I've, I'm taking out the cautiously at this point. I think he's going to destroy the ball all year. I'm really excited about him um, not, worrying, have, not having to worry about outfield defense anymore, having a healthy shoulder. I think he's back to the guy he was, so I'm really excited about that. Um, Ortiz has been killing the ball, and that's been awesome. I think he's going to be... I don't really like to play into these like highly motivated, um, intangible type things, but I think with a guy like Ortiz, that's absolutely a thing. Do it, play into it, go. Yeah, go. I think I, I can't. <laughs> I gotta lean into this one because he's he just looks so good this year. So I'm excited about that. Um, as for Holt, I think we've seen this from him before, and he's so fun to watch, but he's such a streaky hitter. At some point, he's going to go through a slump, and he's probably going to start sitting a little more, but they'll ride him while he's hot. Um, the one guy I'm pretty surprised about, I wasn't super high on Travis Shaw coming into the year, but even in a small sample, um, I've come around on him, especially defensively. He looks really good at third base, which brings me to Pablo Sandoval, who I was also cautiously optimistic about him coming back, yep. and... I am now pretty pessimistic about that. It's everything we've seen from him has been bad, and I just I can't bring myself to defend it anymore. There's, I don't know where you can feel good about him anymore. Yeah, well, let's start off with the bad there with Pablo. Um, it's just embarrassing at this point, right? I mean, I showed my my wife the uh, the gif of him um, and his belt bursting when he <laughs> when he swung at that ball the other day. And she just couldn't believe how sad it was. That's what she said. It's just so sad that this is happening to this guy. And I mean, you is. kind of have to laugh at this point. I mean, it's just ridiculous. It's it is it's completely ridiculous. It's, it's like a cartoon. It just <laughs> it should not be happening. This is a pro athlete making ninety five million dollars a year, and he's exploding belts on <laughs> national TV. I mean that that's his highlight reel right now. He he, he looked 
god-awful against Roberto Alzuna the other day. And granted, he was coming into the game as a, a pinch hitter uh, or, you know, subbing into the lineup later in the game. But, I mean, he couldn't catch up to elite velocity. Ozuna was coming out throwing 95, 96, 97, and Pablo was just, you know, not even making contact with it. It wasn't even like he was remotely in the area code. So I think his skills have degraded drastically as a hitter. Physically, he just doesn't look good. Um, it's really difficult to see this situation working out in Boston. They're going to have to end up taking 30 cents on the dollar, maybe even less for, for Pablo, for, for somebody in you know, just get him off the books. Completely agree with you about uh, Travis Shaw. He's looked awesome. He's really carried over everything that he's uh, done last year and that we saw from him in the preseason. He looks capable. Um, and really, when you have the lineup one through six right now uh, with Mookie, Pedroia, Bogarts, Ortiz, Ramirez, and Shaw coming up, that's just about as deep as it gets in the league. Um when I was watching the Blue Jays series, one of the things I couldn't believe was just how deep that lineup was. You know, you've got Donaldson and then Edwin Encarnacion and Joey Bats and Troy Tulowitzki, and it just keeps going. But then when I was watching the Red Sox and they'd show the inning starting and it'd be Pedroia, Bogarts, Ortiz, and then Ramirez comes up to the plate, I'm like, all right, you know, we're on that level right now. That's We can play with these guys, with these bats. So is it going to be as good as I think it is with – their ability to really match teams like the Blue Jays run for run? Um, so I'm not sure that, I mean, I think the Blue Jays are a tough example. I don't think the Red Sox have that kind of top level talent, um, but they are deep. There's no easy out in this lineup right now. Um, the one question going forward would probably be left field. Since when Holt does go in that slump, they're going to either have to put uh, Castillo out there, who is a huge question mark, who I'm pretty low on, or they're going to have to start putting out Chris Young against righties, which is bad news for everybody involved. Uh, but besides that, yeah, I mean, I think this offense should hit all year. It's deep. Um, they'll get production from every position on the diamond. Yeah, it, they look great so far. And you have to be encouraged, too, by what we've seen from Pedroia, right? And he's moving well in the field. He's making contact uh, at an elite level. Um, so I really like what he's done. And Ortiz, I mean, uh, Bogarts, after starting off the season 0 for 9, has really caught fire as of late, too. So a bit of a streaky guy in his own right, but uh, I like what I've seen from him so far. But really, uh, Hanley has to be the story uh, of the of the season so far. Um, any guys a little bit deeper in the lineup? Blake Swihart, Jackie Bradley Jr., any of those guys you want to touch on in terms of how they've performed so far, what you're expecting out of them? Uh, yeah, sure. I'll start with Swihart. Um, I know you're really high on Swihart. And I'm right there with you. He's he, The results haven't really been there this year. Um, his line isn't like jumping off the page or anything, but you watch him play, man. He, he, he just makes such good contact every time. There's not a ton of power there, but he hits so many line drives. He's going to hit for a high average every year. And at a position where there's no offense around the league, um, it's hard not to be excited about Swihart. As for Bradley, I think I'm probably the low man on him. Mm -hmm. uh, those those strikeouts just scare me. And um, if you're going to strike out like that, you either have to walk a ton, which he could do, and you have to hit for some power. And I'm not really convinced he's going to hit for the kind of power that you need to to hold up that strikeout rate. Um, I know he did last year, but that was that was during that six week stretch where. It's just beyond explanation. He just went nuts. Yeah, he lost his mind. Yeah, yeah. I don't think we're going to see that again. But um, as long as the rest of the lineup's hitting, I'm not really too worried about Bradley. As long as he's, I don't think he's going to be what he was in uh, 2014. Right. So as long as he's a respectable hitter, major league hitter, um, his defense will carry him enough if that lineup's hitting. Has Bradley's swing looked a little bit long to you early on in the going? That's one of the things that I've noticed. We've talked about it a lot at length with uh, guys like Rusni Castillo and their inability to catch up to velocity. But um, I thought that Bradley was actually a pretty decent fastball hitter when I watched him last year. But so far, he just hasn't looked like he's been dialed in with that swing. Yeah, yeah. There's Something's off right now. Um, he did look all right today. He hit a um, double today. So I don't know if that's just some early season weirdness, but um, 
Yeah, I think maybe he's trying to play into that power that he showed last year a little too much. I don't know, but there's got to be some adjustment coming. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens with them. As far as forecasting out with this lineup, though, uh, do you think the lineup stays kind of just how it is um, for the remainder of this season, or do you see them really trying to uh, make some moves early on, find some trading partners to address some of these weaknesses that they have, like left field or um, like trying to get Pablo Sandoval off the books? If you had to guess, you know, which of these things is most likely to happen? Well, I think they want to get – Sandoval out of here. I was kind of, um, I wasn't really sure about that, but I mean, today they had an opportunity. They had, uh, Chris Young up against Michael Givens, a right-handed hitter with Sandoval on the bench. And every other opportunity like that this year, they've, uh, used Sandoval as a pinch hitter. And today they kept Young in. And I think that speaks volumes about what they uh, think of Sandoval right now. Right. Cause Young's a sub 200 hitter against righties, right? Oh yeah. He's awful. You, there's really no reason for him to ever hit against a right-handed pitcher. Um, the only problem is, who wants Pablo Sandoval? <laughs> Why is anybody trading for him right now? Even if the Red Sox are eating the money, you still have Sandoval taking up a roster spot. And I just I don't know that they can get rid of him right now. Um, so I, I just have no idea what to expect from that situation. Yeah, I, I mean, I keep looking at it, and I keep going on roster resource and trying to figure out kind of who we can pawn this guy off on. And the team that I keep coming back to is the team that uh, keeps being talked about as a potential trade partner for the Red Sox in uh, San Diego Padres. Uh, John Jay, just not a great center fielder there. Uh, Matt Kemp, he's a good solution in right field. But then left field, they have Melvin Upton. I could see a situation where the Red Sox offer up something like – Pablo Sandoval and Rusni Castillo for Melvin Upton and James Shields or Melvin Upton and Andrew Kashner and kick in a prospect like Johnson or Henry Owens. If they were to offer something like that, who do you think says no first? And if you're a Red Sox fan, would you be happy about that trade? Um, I think that's kind of a fair offer. I'm not sure. I mean, the fact that I don't know right away who would say no probably says that it's pretty fair. Right. Um, but I'm not sure that I would like that. Um, I'm not – I don't understand – I don't think Melvin Upton really puts them in a better position than they are in right now. And I'm not a huge Andrew Kashner fan. And I do like James Shields, but the more I look at it, the more I just don't really want him on the Red Sox. So I think it's possible – that something like that could happen, but I'm not too thrilled about the idea. I think if you got a guy like James Shields, he's not going to be big game James. I mean, that's just, that's a fallacy. That's in the past. His prime's over. But I think that two-thirds of the times he goes out there, he's going to give you a chance to win the ball game, which is more than you're getting from most of the starters that are on this team and drastically more than you're getting from Pablo Sandoval at this point. So even if you're swapping guys with similar money and you're taking on large contracts, at least you're getting production out of that money to some extent if you get a guy like James Shields on here. And I've heard that why take on that money, but I think that's the reason. I mean, there is value to a guy who goes out and pitches to a slightly above league average uh, rate with 200-plus innings. That's invaluable to the bullpen in my opinion. Yeah, I think that's fair, and I think for this year it probably would make them better. Um, the problem is he's 34 now, and he's under contract until, I think, 2018, something like that, through 2018. Mm-hmm. So I, it's a lot of money on the books for a guy who's getting worse. And, I mean, like I said, I think it's fine. I mean, you're trading Sandoval and Castillo, obviously you're not expecting a lot back. Um, I think the problem I would have is if they're throwing in an Owens or a Johnson with it too. Yeah. Um, giving up one of those guys for an aging pitcher like that and Melvin Upton, who I just don't think adds anything. Yeah, Melvin Upton's an interesting uh, case because Mark Normandin, Normandin or however you say his Normandin. name. Normandin. Normandin uh, over at Over the Monster uh, has, has written about him a few times. Um, and I find it kind of interesting his case that he has for him. I mean, the li- little bit of pop, he's been a little bit of better, a little bit better with the uh, 
the bat lately um, than he showed before he was traded out to San Diego. He was just god-awful when he was with Atlanta. Um, he's still not a good player by any means, but he is versatile defensively. And I think he's at least a smart runner on the base paths, which is more than we've been able to say for Castillo at this point. So when you're looking at those two players in a bubble, Upton versus Castillo, right now, like, is Castillo a better player than Upton at this point? I'm not sure that he is. No, probably not. Um, he might have more upside, but uh, he definitely has a hell of a lot more downside, too. Uh, yes, I mean, I definitely think Upton will be an upgrade on Castillo, but I also don't think that's really saying much. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. It's like, you know, upgrading your 1983 Escort to a 1986 Corolla. It's just, uh, it's going to get you through, but it's not a, not a huge upgrade. Um, all right, so we all know what the Red Sox have been doing so far. We've covered off on a lot of that stuff. Uh, one of the most interesting things about this early season so far is that the Orioles are off to their best start since 1970. They're 6-0 right now. Um, they're just playing amazing baseball, mashing everything. Uh, we knew that this lineup was going to hit a ton of home runs, but we also thought that um, the pitching would be so bad that nobody predicted them to uh, win the division this year, despite being perennially a contender for the last three or four seasons. Um, do you think this is something that could be sustainable here from them, or is this just one of the weird things happening in the early season, like Trevor Story hitting seven home runs? I think it's probably more likely that's one of the weird things. I mean, uh, I don't think Ubaldo Jimenez is going to do that every time out. Um I don't think Chris Tillman's going to be a great starter all year. So I think that rotation has some problems. Uh, with that being said, their lineup is good. They have Manny Machado and Adam Jones at the top of the lineup, and then they just have a ton of power behind them. Um, so they're going to go through stretches where they just destroy other teams pitching, and it doesn't matter what their rotation looks like. And also, uh, for all the talk about the Red Sox and Yankees bullpen, uh, the Orioles have a really good back three with uh, Givens, O'Day, and Britton, and that's going to help them outperform some of their uh, Pythagorean numbers uh, through the year. So, I mean, I don't think they're this good, but it wouldn't completely shock me if they're hanging around to the wild card race at least through the season. I think every team in the AL East probably has that case. Yeah, you know, the, you bring up some interesting points there, and the first one I'll touch on is the rotation. Um you know, Tillman has actually been a pretty useful starter in the past. I know he had a really bad year last year, but the year before that and actually the year preceding that, he was actually a pretty decent pitcher, like a little better than league average. Gallardo's been that for some time. Uh, you mentioned Ubaldo. We see sort of stretches where he's awesome and stretches where he's terrible. Um, but I'm just not sure how different their rotation is than a lot of the other rotations in this division. Because the first time through for a lot of these teams, I mean, the Yankees especially, Pineda got blown up, Ivaldi got blown up, uh, Severino gave up a bunch of runs, um, Sabathia gave up a lot of runs. There's There might be a whole lot of bad rotations in this division. And even some of the better rotations, like um, Tampa Bay had some issues early on. Archer had one great start, one horrible start. Drew Smiley didn't do well. Odorizzi, same thing, had one good one, one bad one. Matt Moore was bad. We all know what the Red Sox look like after David Price um, and what the Blue Jays look like after Marcus Stroman. So that could factor into it, right? Sure. Um, I think the difference would be that the Orioles don't really have that one guy that they can count on, kind of like the Red Sox last year. Mm -hmm. um, to your point about Tillman, um, I do think he is – uh, all right, but I mean, he's been incredible in his first two starts this year, and I don't think he's going to keep that up. Um, and I'm not a big Gallardo fan. I think he's been getting worse with age. His velocity has been dropping. Um, I'm not really confident in him being anything more than a league average guy right now. So I think they'll have some guys that come up with big starts once in a while, but unless Kevin Gossman comes up and uh, – looks as good as his potential is, then this rotation 
isn't going to scare me very much. And I, I think I would rather have the Red Sox with David Price at the top than what the Orioles have right now. Yeah, I think I'd agree with you there. It's just a little bit of food for thought, something that could keep them hanging around a little bit longer than we thought they could have. But I have a strong agree with you on this bullpen. I mean, Britton, O'Day, Givens, Bundy, um, that could be really, really good, like as good as anything in the division. So um, that could keep them in some games as well. It's going to be interesting. Probably not this good, but, uh, you know, it'll be fun. So um, before we close out, I want to just uh, look down on the farm a little bit. A um, few things going on there. I want to touch on uh, the level that I think all Red Sox fans wish they had a you know, satellite stream from uh, Salem right now so all of us could watch the big four prospects there. Um, but I just want to give a quick update on how um, all of those guys have been doing. Andrew Benintendi so far, um, been a little bit quiet. Over the first four games, he did have one four-hit game, um, which was pretty good. Rafael Devers um, only has two hits on the young season in four games, but does have a home run as one of those hits. Um, but the, the two top guys in the system, arguably, in Yoan Moncada uh, and Anderson Espinosa, are certainly making quite a bit of noise in the early season. Moncada's batting 308 with four steals, uh, one in each of his first four games. And Anderson Espinosa, who just turned 18 last month, um, pitched five shutout innings, allowed just two hits, and struck out four in his first start at high A. So um, pretty impressive from those guys. Anything really stand out to you there? Um, well, just real quick, uh, just to clarify, um, Espinosa's in Greenville at uh, low A. So right, Greenville. I just want to point that out. But, yeah, thank you. I mean, the point still stands. He's 18 years old, so pitching there in full season ball is still – incredibly impressive um but yeah that whole group is just so so much fun to dream on um i think there's a good chance that benintendi and mancata will be up in portland at some point by the middle of the year and uh devers has an okay chance of being there probably a little bit of a later call-up than those two um just because he's a little more raw but um yeah i the only guy i can really speak to too much in depth is Benintendi. Um, I saw him a lot in Lowell last year, and he he should destroy um, New York Penn League competition. He was the college bat of the year, so he was in a position where he should have dominated, but right. the fact that he did, and I can tell you in person, it was clear in just about every game that he was the best player on the field. Um, he's... I don't know if he has a huge ceiling. Like I don't, I don't think he's a future... Um, perennial MVP or anything like that, but he is going to be a regular in this league for a long time. And um, I'm, I'm really excited to see him shoot up through the system. Out of those four, do you think Benintendi is certainly going to be the first one to reach the majors? Uh, I think that's the best bet. I think there's an outside shot. Mankata um, could be that guy if he just completely dominates, uh, especially considering all the money they gave him. Mm -hmm. um, they could push him up a little faster, but Benintendi is probably the better bet. Yeah, it's funny that most years, uh, I feel like, especially since I've been really following the Sox, it's been um, the AA level that's had the most exciting players for the Red Sox. It just seems that guys finally come into their own at that level. But right now, the Sea Dogs, there's just not a whole lot going on up there in terms of players that you want to watch. But I want to ask you, are there any deeper guys that you're looking at this season that you're going to really follow at you know either Portland or at any of the levels in the system that we should all be paying attention to. Um, well, I can't get this question and not talk about Mauricio Dubon uh, for a second. <laughs> yeah, I know you guys talked. Cue the Dubon. Last, yeah, I know you guys talked about him last week, so I'll be quick because he's not exactly the guy we should be talking about every week. But uh, he's I saw him in Lowell. That's when I fell in love with him. Um, he's really fast. He's a great base runner. He can play both middle and field positions really well. Um, so he has that utility profile, and he's hitting enough where there's some potential for him to be um, a second division regular. And on those same terms, uh, Marco Hernandez and Pawtucket is another utility guy. And uh, I just want to, just for a second, um, these utility guys that I fall in love with, um, they're guys that we don't really think about when we talk about prospects because we're looking for the high ceilings, but there's some value in 
being able to produce and bring up your own utility guys and not having to waste trade assets or money in free agency and filling out your bench. Um, and instead you can use those resources as extra leverage to get the stars. So I think having guys like that um, throughout different levels of the minors is really going to benefit the Red Sox in the long run. Um, looking a little bit further down the list, I would say Christopher Acosta. I don't know where he's going to start this year. He's not playing in full season ball, um, probably either Lowell or in the GCL, but he's a guy who was signed um, right along with Anderson Espinosa, and he wasn't as highly touted, but he was in that same group, and he was hurt for a bunch of last year. So I think he's a guy that could rise through the rankings pretty quickly this year. So tell me about Costa, because I don't know too much about him in terms of what skill set we can expect out of him. Um, so he's uh, he was in the DCL uh, DSL last year. Mm-hmm. Um, he had a kind of a rough start, and then he got hurt. Um, I forget exactly what the injury was. I know it wasn't an arm injury. I think it was something with his leg or his foot or something. So it's not a huge concern. But I know when he came back, uh, the results got a lot better. Um, he doesn't throw really hard. Um, he's kind of a low 90s kind of guy. Mm-hmm. But he's got good secondaries, um, a curveball, and a changeup. And he's he's more of probably a back-end guy where Espinosa's that ace. But I think he's somebody who uh, probably will see Lowell at some point this year. Could start his full season ball in 2017. Um, and the Red Sox have had a little bit of trouble developing these pitchers, um, especially in the lower ranks right now. So having another guy like him come up would be huge for them. Yeah, and he is only 18 years old. He's got good size, six foot three, um, a little bit small right now, 170 pounds. But yeah, I mean, I'm I'm looking at his his profile right now, and you know, like you said, decent stuff and. It seems like he's got pretty good polish on his secondary pitches, so maybe we could be looking at a future Brian Johnson type arm. Yeah, sure. I mean, I don't think I think that's a pretty decent comp. I think that could work. Yeah. Okay. Well, there we have it. Your episode two of uh, the Red Seat Podcast. I assure you guys out there listening that as the season goes on, we will get more interesting topics uh, <laughs> to go off of. There's just so little to talk about at this point in the season, but please. Um, we will try and come up with some sort of a, a way for um, you listeners out there to get questions to us because I think that'll be a really fun thing to do to have a bit of a mailbag for us to answer um, as well. But, uh, you know, for the time being, uh, feel free to write into BP Boston and let us know what you'd like to hear. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at DevJake. Um, and uh, one more time, Matt, you want to let them know where they can find you? Uh, it's at Red Sox underscore thoughts. All right. And uh, anything you want to add before we sign off? Uh, I'll just say one last time that Joe Kelly does not have great stuff. All so right. I'll put that out there. You heard the dissension here. Joe Kelly, not great stuff. All right. Thanks, guys, and uh, we will see you next time.